nerds the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. In this new age two heroes must emerge to sort out this mess. Christian, Damon, it's time to make a comeback. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, fighting the good fight and reviewing the latest in nerd culture. This will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the first two episodes of Ahsoka, and we've got a film review for The Blue Beetle. Plus, I'm talking all the big news from Gamescom, and we're giving our predictions for AEW's All In. But before we get into that, I have to give a quick shout-out to Coyote Fire for our brand-new intro song. They're an awesome garage rock band from Chicago, and their new single comeback is available now on all your favorite platforms, so make sure to check them out and listen to it over and over again. Also, be sure to check us out on Patreon, where you can not only help support our show, but also get bonus content like our Best and Worst of the Week show, which we now have over 30 episodes up on our Patreon. Plus, our top-tier patrons also get bonus episodes and countdowns like our Better Late Than Never review of Black Mirror Season 6 and Worst Star Wars Moments of the Disney Plus Era. So, after the show, make sure to head on down to our show notes and find the link to our Patreon, or simply type in patreon.com slash amazingnerdshow. Oh, and one more thing. You can find The Amazing Nerd Show now on Threads. If you use the social media site, make sure to give us a follow to stay up to date with all things ANS. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, so this week we have some catching up to do news-wise. So up first, we've got some big rumors for Marvel's upcoming Secret Wars film. With Hugh Jackman set to reprise his role as Wolverine for Deadpool 3, industry insider Daniel Richman has claimed that Jackman may be featured in Secret Wars in a major role as well. According to Richman, before the strike, Kevin Feige met with a few stars to play roles in Avengers Secret Wars, with their sources claiming Wolverine will have a, quote, big role in the film. At the same time, sources for industry scooper Can We Get Some Toast suggest that Andrew Garfield could also be returning to play his variant of Spider-Man for Secret Wars, as apparently he was also reached out to before the strikes, allegedly of course. So I don't think this is really a big surprise, and honestly this is something we've been kind of like speculating about uh, since they announced the Secret Wars you know, film, um, or like even before that when we just kind of felt like they were headed in that direction so um it's just the perfect way to kind of have your cake and eat it too um you know in a a nice way really to say goodbye to these characters um we've already you know seen andrew garfield pop up in the last spider-man film uh and you know with hugh jackman being in deadpool 3 you know, why not use them further in Secret Wars, especially with the nature of that film being, you know, all about the multiverse, um, you know, if they're following Jonathan Hickman's storyline, which they definitely seem to be doing. Uh, we're also hearing that Nicolas Cage has been approached about reprising his role uh, as Ghost Rider. Oh, okay. So, and, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we don't see more cameos or, you know, special guest starring roles, if you will. Uh, of that sort, because uh, I think in the past too, didn't we hear that like uh, Patrick Stewart 
might be part of the uh, film too. Yes, uh, we've heard that and several other Fox characters potentially being in it. Yeah, and which I mean, pretty much the entire Fox superhero cast is in Deadpool three, so mm-hmm. I'm sure some of them are gonna you know carry over to you know Secret Wars. Um, that is, you know, when we eventually get there, which at this point with, you know, the actor strike and writer strike still going on, it's probably going to be like 2030. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> I know. They're going to have to freeze Patrick Stewart and, you know, defrost him <laughs> when the film finally gets started. But speaking of Ghost Rider, it looks like we have a rumor of a possible reboot happening in the near future. Scooper My Time to Shine Hello made waves this past week with word that a Ghost Rider film was in the works before the strike and that production will continue afterwards. No word on if this project is meant to be kind of before Secret Wars or after Secret Wars, but it's been rumored for a while that Feige has been interested in this character. I'm guessing if they're going to go the Nicolas Cage route with Secret Wars, that this project, you know, whether it's a TV series of some sort or a film is probably going to happen after Secret Mm -hmm. Wars. Uh, just so it's not so confusing having like two ghostwriters because I doubt it's a project starring Nicolas Cage. I would hope least not. I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was going to say anything, but no, I agree. I, I would hope not. Um, it'll be fun to see Nicolas Cage in the role again. But yeah, I don't need a whole, you know, sequel to the ghostwriter, you know, franchise. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, if they're going to do ghostwriter, um, you know, a reboot, if you will, that they don't do the origin story if we're going to see him pop up in Secret Wars. And I feel that way with a lot of the characters that are rumored to be popping up in Secret Wars. You know, like if we're going to have these variants showing up, um, you know, there's no need to do a full on origin story when they're actually introduced to the, you know, MCU proper in the main timeline. Now, being a 90s comic book fan, um, I would love to see a project revolving around like Danny Catch, um, you know, something really dark, um, you know, even darker than like what they did with like the Moon Knight series. Um, that first initial run when they introduced Danny, you know, into the Marvel Universe was fantastic and is one of my favorite comic book runs of all time. So I would love to see them do something in that vein. But honestly, with like the, you know, emphasis of Robbie Reyes in the comics right now, who's I think like the fourth Ghost Rider at this point, uh, I, I could see them going, you know, that route, uh, which is fine, too, because Robbie's a great character. Mm-hmm. Also, it feels like he, he would fit right now in the current mcu exactly and and, you know you know in the comics he's been part of the avengers and everything Mm. so you know that's fine also so this week it looks like all of our news is marvel themed because we also have a thor 5 rumor this one also comes from my time to shine hello as they posted about the fifth film for the thor franchise is currently in the works for the mcu though taika watiti may not be on to return as director but of course no one has actually been signed on to this film at this time so who knows maybe he will return as director and i believe at some point he actually did an interview over the last couple weeks talking about what direction he would take the franchise um but honestly i was like who asked this question (laughs) because I don't know about you, Christian, but I don't want to see him at the helm. No. Um, you know, especially <laughs> after what we got with uh, Love and Thunder, uh, which was just a huge disappointment. Um, you know, and you never know how much that has to do with, like, studio tinkering. Uh-huh. You know, after the success of Ragnarok, if, you know, some studio exec 
uh, was sitting back and like, well, we need more funny. And that's kind of like where they took the film. Because personally, like what I felt, you know, made Thor Ragnarok work so well was that, you know, perfect balance between humor and drama, um, where Love and Thunder just threw that all out the window. Um, every character was cracking one-liners. Um, so I don't know, like, <laughs> because I, like, it just felt like Taika wasn't really taking the source material serious at all. Um, you know, and I mean, listen, it's about fucking, you know, giant, you know, space Vikings, but come on, like with them tackling, you know, Jane Foster's heavy storyline from the comics, um, I felt like it was a huge, like detriment, like just the, the, the strange tone of it all. So I'm totally fine with them handing the ball off to someone else at this point. Um, or them just not doing the film. Like, it's okay to take a break for a little bit. Uh, I think maybe that would be the wiser choice. And that's that, that's really where it seemed like they were headed. So I was really surprised by this, like, story. Yeah, I, I never imagined getting five Thor films, you know? Like, I thought a trilogy would be enough and then you have them in other films, but... Uh, yeah, I... I figured eventually we might get to like Thor five, but like, you know, in the next like five or six years, not, hmm. you know, in a year or two, um, I thought they were trying to like pull back on so many releases. Uh, but if they're doing Thor five, that's definitely not the case. Especially now after like everything's getting pushed back. I'm wondering if that whole quantity over you know, or quality over quantity thing is going to be thrown out the window because they're going to want to like you know, recover from some of their losses and just start pumping out films. I hope not, because I, I do feel like it's hurt the franchise mm -hmm. overall. Well, speaking of a sequel I didn't expect to be getting anytime soon, uh, we also have a rumor about a possible Doctor Strange 3. Sources from the Cosmic Circus believe that the next installment in the Doctor Strange franchise may be an adaptation of the Time Runs Out storyline from the comics, which was a storyline focused on the decay of the multiverse. It's believed that Doctor Strange 3 will you know, showcase the multiverse dying because of multiple incursions along with the one mentioned in Multiverse of Madness, and is not only showing that Kang is a threat to all known universes, but also reiterating how much Doctor Strange himself is a threat to the multiverse as he tries to save it. So with the comics, I'm, I'm definitely not a big Doctor Strange guy, so I'm not really familiar with this storyline, but if it's anywhere as near as dark as uh, Jonathan Hickman's New Avengers run, um, which was dealing with the incursions, uh, which this sounds strangely familiar, no pun intended. It, you know, it, it's going to be a pretty messed up movie. So um, I like the concept. I just don't know where they're going to put this on the release calendar because it's already pretty jam-packed. Yeah, and it would have to come out before Secret Wars just because yeah. it's dealing with that. So I don't know. <laughs> I just kind of figured with like how Multiverse of Madness ended, we would kind of see that storyline play out in like other films mm -hmm. in other like series uh, i wasn't expecting to get another strange sequel you know before secret wars but i mean it does make sense um but once again like just the, with the release calendar being what it is and you know with all these delays i just man it's gonna be hard to really shoehorn this film in. unless like you said they push everything back super far secret wars is coming out what like 2027 at this point yes and with no end to the strikes like in sight at this point unfortunately i wouldn't be surprised if we don't get another reshuffling 
of the schedule sometime soon. I mean, we just found out today that Warner Brothers is delaying Dune Part 2 to March 15th, 2024, which actually ends up pushing back their next Godzilla slash King Kong film to uh, April 12th. So it definitely feels like we're in store for a lot more delay announcements in the near future. But enough of the doom and gloom. Lastly, we have an update on the upcoming Captain America Part 4. Can We Get Some Toast also brought a rumor to the table that may illuminate the leader's role in future Marvel projects. As it said, he will be the benefactor payrolling the Serpent Society in Captain America Brave New World. And as we heard earlier this year, Tim Blake Nelson will be returning to play as the leader in this film, which is set to premiere on July 26, 2024. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. And now for the nerds review of Blue Beetle. And now, our feature presentation. What is going on? I just want to run. It's called the Scarab. It's some kind of world-destroying weapon. It's designed to protect its host. To say that you want. Sometimes it does what you want, and sometimes it doesn't. I, I think I cut a bus in half. The Scarab chose you, but it belongs to me. The love you feel for your family makes you weak. I just wanna rock. An alien Scarab chooses college graduate Jaime Reyes which, Jesus Christ, I feel so ignorant. I've been calling him Jamie this entire time, Christian. Don't um, worry, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> to be its symbiotic host, bestowing the teenager with a suit of armor that's capable of extraordinary and unpredictable powers forever changing his destiny as he becomes the superhero known as Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle's directed by Angel Manuel Soto and stars Axel Marduena. I apologize. <laughs> I totally butchered that. Uh, George Lopez and Susan Sarandon. Blue Beetle was a comic I never really got into or checked out while reading DC Comics. I've always just kind of been a Batman purist, but I did see him occasionally in other you know comics you know from time to time. And I think for a lot of you know more casual DC fans, this would probably be their first major exposure to the character. And the first thing I said after seeing this movie was it reminded me so much of how I felt after seeing the first Iron Man for Marvel, as this seemed to me like a great gateway for new DC fans, and I could easily see this gaining franchise success if it continues into the new regime over at DC Studios. This film to me, I would say, was an improved version of Shazam, as there was, you know, a little bit of something for everyone from its action to its humor without ever losing its focus or tone. Jaime Reyes is an unlikely hero falling into this role and his hero's journey, while something we've definitely seen many times now, was well written and an enjoyable experience thanks to the chemistry of the Reyes family. It was as easy to fall in love with their family dynamic as I would say maybe Kamala Khan and her family from Miss Marvel. So many you know, there's so many charming moments between the two of them that, it, you know, it suckers you in and they truly were the biggest highlight of this film altogether. While on the other hand, our villains weren't, you know, the strongest characters we've seen in superhero films. You know, Susan Sarandon was written to be the biggest, you know, rich Karen ever, so it was easy to hate Victoria Court, as we've all dealt with someone like her at this point. But beyond that, there wasn't all too much unique about her character. Um, you know, it felt like they were going for cheap heat with, you know, kind of her racist remarks and stuff like that. 
instead of giving her you know some real drive here to being you know the villain that she is and another chord we got to talk about is jenny um who has kind of a forced love arc um between her and jaime it just was a little bit too rushed and predictable for my liking and definitely was a weak point of the film there wasn't too much memorable about her character other than the fact that she's the one that you know hands him the scarab but you know what was surprisingly not a weak point for me with this film? Um, it was the effects. Uh, this film was done for so much you know, cheaper than a lot of other superhero films. I believe it was made for under $500,000. And yet the blending between practical and CGI effects was done so well. Um, one of the things you know I noticed in the trailer was that the suit looked a little bit a little bit more practical and gave kind of this you know high-end Power Rangers feel. And I think you know coming into this film, I was a little bit worried about how that was actually going to look throughout you know all the action sequences. And honestly, it gave Blue Beetle a unique look compared to a lot of what we've gotten in other films. You know, with a bigger budget, I imagine the environments and cityscape probably would have looked a little bit better, but I think the restrictions they faced because of it forced them to rely more on practical set pieces and the suit for Jaime that I personally felt just worked a lot better than, you know, kind of that CGI look that we got with even, you know, the later Iron Man appearances in the MCU, where it's just, you know, 100% CGI. That's not to say that things were exactly perfect in this. There's definitely a couple moments here and there where it felt like the quality dropped. And I definitely feel like the lowest point was the cityscape itself. You know, just kind of feeling very fake or very like cheap video game look to it. But beyond that, as a first you know entry into this character, I still was happy with how everything looked in the end. Like I said, the film isn't perfect, but I still left enjoying myself more than I expected to. Shazam tonally just felt all over the place, where I feel like this film just hit exactly the tone it was you know, trying to set, with also the right amount of humor. That was really all elevated by these great performances by the Reyes family. There's definitely more to be desired from outside the Heim outside of Jaime's family, but this being their introduction, I was happy that they got most of the focus for this film and definitely made me want to see more of them in the future. So I'm hopeful for a Blue Beetle 2 at some point if DC Studios you know, wants to continue this. So with all that said, I'm going to be giving this a B plus. And now for the nerds breakdown of the two episode premiere of Ahsoka. Heavy spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Everyone in the Order knew Anakin Skywalker. Few would live to see what he became. By the end of the Clone Wars, I walked away from him and the Jedi. In this war, you will face more than just droids. As your master, it's my responsibility to prepare you. I won't always be there to look out for you. I could use the help. Once a rebel, always a rebel. Don't be afraid. Trust your instincts. I know you can do this, Ahsoka. All right, so before we get started, uh, since Ahsoka debuted with two full episodes this past week, uh, we opted to go ahead and just talk the major highlights of both episodes, with next week being just a single episode drop we'll get back on track doing our usual like you know full-on breakdowns so um christian just got back on vacation yeah so we i, I didn't expect him to go crazy you know break it down two episodes because <laughs> you got back when christian 
Uh, literally yesterday. So okay, yeah, at, at like so, one a.m. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna take it easy at them this week, but let's get it. Through. All right, for starters, with Ahsoka, I audibly gasped when I saw an opening crawl for this series. I don't know what made me pop so hard, but I just I, I feel like I probably wasn't mentally prepared for it. I guess, and I just got super excited. I don't know why. Anyway, it basically you know sums up what's been going on during the New Republic era and where we left off with Ahsoka after season two of The Mandalorian. I think what was cool about it too was it felt like it was kind of coming from like the Empire's perspective, which I don't think we've ever seen before. Mm. Um, you know, just I don't know if it was just like the red tint of it all or, you know, just the, the music in the background. It definitely felt a little darker and off kilter uh, compared to the typical uh, crawls that we get in all the trilogies. Like maybe this story doesn't have necessarily a happy ending like some heavy shits about to go down. This episode being named Master and Apprentice really focuses on what will most likely be our two main duos for this series as we quickly are introduced to Balin and his apprentice Shin Hati as they infiltrate a New Republic cruiser to free Morgan Elsbeth. Balin Skull alludes to being paid help here, but I wasn't sure if she was necessarily the one, you know, actually paying them for this job or not. I mean, I'm sure she's working for, you know, some faction of remnants. Um, but they definitely answer to her. Yes. Uh, but whether or not she's middle management is yet to be seen, right? Like, I could see a moment happening in the future where it's like, you know, well, you're not the one actually paying us to do this. And then it turns out, you know, we actually work for, like, one of the moths or some shit like that. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely doing the bidding of, like, the Shadow Council that we see in um, mm -hmm. Season 3 of The Mandalorian, I'm sure. When we get our first moments with Ahsoka, she is making her way into what we later learn is a temple for the Night Sisters of Dothamir that contains a star map to what could be Thrawn's final location. After surviving a droid attack, Ahsoka gets advice from General Syndulla, who suggests Sabine could help her unlock the star map. Yeah, this actually won me a small victory against my daughter. <laughs> Because we were watching this episode together and we got to this moment uh, and I was looking at the engravings, you know, in, in this chamber and I was like, oh, those look like Night Sisters. And she just scoffed at me like, <laughs> oh, dad, <laughs> you know, mind you, like she's eight years old. Um, uh -huh. and she's like, those don't look like Night Sisters. Their heads are shaped differently. What are you talking about? So when it's finally revealed that Morgan is indeed a Night Sister, I let out a huge cheer. And maybe celebrate it a little too hard. Um, <laughs> because honestly, like more times than not, like my daughter ends up being on the right side of these arguments that we have watching Star Wars. Um, but yeah, no, th this was, you know, a point for dad. No, you take those victories when you can. She's a walking encyclopedia at this point. It really is crazy. Like, I think she's watched the Clone Wars series at least three or four times, like, you know, top to bottom. So, like, she knows names of planets and, you know, episode numbers that I have no clue about. <laughs> so, um, I'm sure in no time she's going to dwarf, like, my knowledge of the franchise. Uh, but, you know, so I'll take the victories when I can get as them. As far as Morgan being a Night Witch, I, I was surprised we didn't get to learn that in Mandalorian Season 2 when she was in the fight. Cause she didn't use any type of abilities, but we do see later on that she has have some type of, you know, touch with the force in there, in that aspect. Well, not the force, right? It's like magic or something. Some like, type you know, of space magic. magic. Everything is force. <laughs> it's Star Wars. <laughs> it's space magic, goddammit. Okay. Um, yeah, 
so it makes you wonder if this was like you know a story point that was put in after the fact because mm-hmm. um, that did kind of you know strike me as strange that she wouldn't be like leaning into her abilities going against this highly skilled jedi especially knowing now that she was trying to protect thrawn um but i guess like headcanon wise i could chalk it up to her trying to not like reveal her own identity maybe I think part of me just wants to give it a pass because I'm just excited that we're going to see, like, you know, the Night Sisters in live action form, at least one of them. We then get our first moments with Sabine being Sabine, of course, as she ditches a hero ceremony honoring the anniversary of the Battle of Lothal. First of all, I love seeing Clancy Brown reprise his role from Rebels, you know, in live action form. I thought mm. that was a great touch. And even the underling that he uh, pivots to when Sabine doesn't show up is actually... Uh, one of the kids from the Imperial Academy episode. Oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> so, right? I mean, this really is the next season of Rebels. So, <laughs> which brings me to Sabine. I I thought this was a great introduction to the character for you know people who aren't familiar with Rebels, because um, it really just kind of embodied like who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the actress's name, Christian? Uh, Natasha Lou Bordizzo. Yeah, I I thought she was great in these first two episodes. She really feels, you know, like the character from, you know, the animated series, uh, which is, it's hard to pull off. They just really, like, captured her, you know, rebellious nature. Um, You know, I I love, like, the weird space punk rock music playing Uh in the background. Uh, just everything about the scene was pitch perfect. When Ahsoka meets up with her here, there is clearly a ton of unresolved tension between the two, but we're not given a glimpse into their past just yet. All we know is that Ahsoka once was training Sabine in the Jedi arts. Even with their unsorted history, though, Sabine is quick to help Ahsoka when she learns that the map may be able to help her find not only Thrawn, but Ezra. Yeah, and I was kind of surprised like how much Hera, who like suggested Ahsoka you know, reach out to Sabine had to really like, kind of like twist Ahsoka's arm Mm -hmm. to get her to do so. Um, You know, so there's definitely some tension there uh, still. I'm hoping that they kind of dig more into that story of exactly like why Ahsoka walked away from Sabine because they just kind of like touch on it like surface level in these first two episodes. Yeah, I mean, there's a great line in the second episode where they mention, you know, like they both have, you know, some rebellious tendencies and that seemed to work well for a while and then something must have happened to really split it up. And I'm really curious to see where that goes. The one thing that you could definitely tell in the back and forth between Ahsoka and Sabine, though, was like how much this really hurt Sabine, you know, Mm -hmm. Ahsoka walking away. Um, you just really feel that, like, just that friction, you know, in between the lines of, you know, dialogue. Sabine, though, is still a rebel without a cause, so when Ahsoka tells her she can only analyze the map on her ship, Sabine steals it and takes it home. Meanwhile, Morgan Elsbeth had ordered Balin to recover a map from Ahsoka, so he sends Hati to Lothal, where they seem to know that she had an apprentice. And of course, after discovering how to unlock the map, Hati and a couple of droids come knocking and nearly kill an unprepared Sabine. First of all, I love, like, right off the bat in the first episode, we've gotten this much lightsaber action. Um, I mean, really, like, three major scenes, you know, with lightsabers sparking up. Um, I... I like that Sabine held her own, but I also found it interesting that, you know, she didn't use the force 
in any like shape or form. You know, it was just pure lightsaber skills. Um, so I'm wondering exactly like how force sensitive is she? You know, if at all. And that's even kind of alluded to in episode two um, in the conversation between Sabine and Hugh uh, Yang. Uh, he basically says she's the worst Padawan he's ever seen. <laughs> but at the same time, he still sees potential in her because he's kind of cheering her on. So I'm curious to see if we find out exactly why Ahsoka has, you know, chosen to train her. If she, like, senses something that Sabine hasn't yet been able to, like, tap into yet. Because right off the bat, when it was revealed that Sabine was, you know, training to be a Jedi, we were both taken aback because it never felt like in Rebels it was ever hinted at that she was, like, Force-sensitive. So I'm interested to see exactly what set like Ahsoka and Sabine down this path of, you know, master and Padawan. You know, I think through the choreography of the fights, um, they did a good job of showing that, you know, she might not have force abilities because like, I know from the trailers, we know Shin eventually says you can't use, you know, the force, but in this fight yeah, sequence, it just really, taunting her. yeah, taunting <laughs> her with it. In this fight sequence, it just really felt like, you know, she was, you know, giving it her all, but there was nothing, you know, to, to go up against someone who actually has mastered those types of abilities. Yeah, I mean, it was she was surviving on sheer skill, mm -hmm. which isn't, you know, necessarily surprising because, you know, she wielded the Darksaber at mm -hmm. one point, and she was actually a lot more capable than Din Djurin was with it. Um, you know, but she also had Kanan, you know, training her. So I'm just really wondering, like, where this storyline is really headed. Um, you know, is Sabine actually going to become a Jedi uh, at the end of the day? I will say, like, I like the fact that it isn't all about, like, you know, her midichlorian count. You yes. know, like, it, it feels <laughs> very much more in line with kind of how they went about the idea of, you know, one becoming a Jedi originally, you know, before the prequels, where, you know, it, it felt like anyone could become a Jedi. Where with the, you know, prequels... Luke is kind of demystified all that and took, in my opinion, this weird, strange scientific approach to it, mm -hmm. all, <laughs> which I still don't understand. Also, before we move on to episode two, uh, we did get a brief glimpse of the Inquisitor Maroc in this episode. Uh, he doesn't really do anything. He's just kind of there with them uh, when they meet up with Morgan Elizabeth. Uh, but we do get more of him later on. Speaking of like the you know, dark force users. I don't know how we would classify them, but I'm loving everything with Balin and Shin, especially that opening sequence was just amazing. Shin especially is a standout. And I, I really want to know like her background. I mean, we find out that Balin was definitely trained as a Jedi with Hugh Yang being able to identify his lightsaber. Um, but Shin feels different. Uh, she feels too young to be part of the Jedi order. Mm -hmm. you know at the time that the prequels you know took place uh but yet she's still rocking the uh padawan braid which isn't something that you typically see with sith so it kind of feels like they're walking this line between the dark and the light um because like seeing that like it, it feels like he must be teaching her the way of the jedi yet at the same time they're both mercenaries so you know i'm interested to really like dig into their story and their background. I get the feeling based off of what we, you know, know later on in the series that he, you know, knew Anakin at some point and seems to may have known 
that Anakin became Vader, uh, just based off the lines from the trailer. But um, that he may have witnessed <laughs> the death of a former Padawan, and I feel like he's just using you know Shin as kind of a replacement, you know, for that guilt he feels from losing that. That's just my like theory. You know, yeah, going forward, I, I mean, we'll see something. But also like the fact that Hugh Yang didn't identify him as a Jedi, like it was more of like I knew one Padawan who had a hilt like this makes me feel like that he wasn't necessarily a Jedi Knight mm. at that point, that he was still also a Padawan, maybe, you know, at the point of the prequels, uh, you know, because I mean, age wise, I think he'd be around probably the same age as Anakin, maybe a little younger. I'm not sure. You know, the timeline's weird. I would just think that Hugh Yang would be able to say, oh, that's master blah, blah, blah. You know, yes. once, mm. you know, <laughs> you know, he sees the hilt. He's a, he would be able to identify it right away. No, that would make sense, too. So do you think the fact that Maroc, like, hasn't had his face revealed, like he's, you know, rocking a mask, is to cover up some mystery or at least hint at some mystery behind the character? I want to think you... that, but at the same time, I feel like it's just going to be... Uh, some an inquisitor random, named Maroc, yeah. Yeah, some random inquisitor. And they're just hoping that, you know, we all take the bait and speculate yeah. about it for the next eight <laughs> weeks. <laughs> for him to just randomly get killed and not really matter that much. Exactly. <laughs> That's typically how these things work. But you know what? I'm going to take the bait anyway. <laughs> they're just going to Boba Fett, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, he's pretty badass, though, I will say. So... You know, I love me a good Inquisitor. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. 
And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now back to Ahsoka. In episode two, Hottie and Balin bring the star map to a reflex point on Setos and await Morgan Elsbeth there. When she arrives, she accesses the map and begins to form a pathway to Peridia, which was a story apparently that the Jedi taught their younglings as Balin recalls. Morgan believes that Thrawn is calling out to her through space and is working on a ship called the Eye of Scion to get her there. So... And correct me if I'm wrong, Christian, but Scion is supposed to be a nod or an Easter egg to the Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, he's a character from the Knights of the Old Republic to the Sith Lords, which is a really dark ass story. But yes, continue. <laughs> a lot of people are speculating whether or not that's like a breadcrumb of, you know, things to come. Like maybe, you know, somehow that character's appearance or something. Oh, okay. I feel like it's just an Easter egg. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong, but it's something that they've done throughout the Disney era of Star Wars. Just little nods to, you know, Legends canon, basically. This also feels like a nod to Lord of the Rings by calling it the Eye of Scion. Oh, you yeah, know? that too, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Eye of Sauron. I don't know. It's, it's just a little close for my liking. <laughs> yeah. I will say with the scene, I loved how witchy Morgan felt. I hope at some point we do get like some kind of flashback scene with like more Night Sisters. Um, but I, I, I also thought the scene did a great job of just kind of establishing the dynamic between Balin and Shin and, um, you know, Morgan. I mean, depending on what happens to the uh, character from Jedi Fallen Order, who is also a Night Sister, it'd be very cool to see, you know, if she has any connections to Marin from the gotcha. game. Sabine wakes up in a hospital with the unfortunate news of having lost all the data that she had gotten from the map. However, Ahsoka travels to Sabine's home to find a droid is still there waiting to attack and assassinate them, not knowing that, you know, Ahsoka collects heads for a living. Sabine is then able to gain access to the droid's memory core after Ahsoka brings it to her, discovering that the droid came from Han Solo's homeworld, Corellia, where a Republic shipyard handles all the old Imperial tech. So it's been becoming a little too easy to survive getting impaled by a lightsaber nowadays yeah right because <laughs> quite god like that's what killed him yeah one now, sh one shot <laughs> right now i mean that was dead center and this was more to the side i guess but it just felt like she recovered a little too fast um but that is what it is because that's probably like my biggest gripe with these first two episodes honestly but we, I mean, if you think about it, we saw, um, what the third sister, I can't remember her name now from Obi-Wan also get, you know, stabbed yes. in the gut with a lightsaber <laughs> and she was able to like hunt down, uh, young Luke Skywalker in the final episode afterwards. So, um, 
whatever. Uh, but maybe the mod docs are just better during this time of period. I don't we know. didn't see any dirty <laughs> modders in this scene, so I, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, if this is Boba Fett, he'd have to be in the back to tank for like three months straight. Yes. <laughs> I made the joke while watching it like Padme died of sadness, but all these people can take lightsaber blows. <laughs> like. <Right. laughs> I do like how they're really leaning to uh, Sabine's Mandalorian skill set, though. You know, she's, you know, incredibly tech savvy, um, but at the same time, an artist. So, of course, she's the person who's able to hack, you know, the tech of it all. To go back to Hugh Yang, though, like this is the right amount of sass from a droid. Like uh, he brings up the whole fact that that skull could blow up in the hospital and, you know, Hera's like, yeah, go ahead, do it. And she's the I, only one there that's in a hologram. And he's like, yeah, because you're not here. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Ahsoka then meets up with Hera on Corellia at the shipyard as Hera is a general now in the New Republic, which means she has the highest military authority. So when the shipyard manager, Min Weaver, gives pushback to them inspecting the place, his hand is forced by Hera. What we learn from Min throughout their inspection here is that the ex-Imperials not only work here, but work within every level of the New Republic government, something that we kind of saw a little bit of in season three of The Mandalorian. So I got to say, like, this back and forth between uh, Hera and this middle management toad um, was the first time that Mary Elizabeth Winstead really felt like Hera to me. I mean, she's a terrific actress, but like that first episode, I don't know, something just felt off to me. Um, I 100% agree. Uh, she felt like more in the first episode, for sure. She felt like more of just a plot device to bring Ahsoka and Sabine together rather than a character with her own, you know, desires and stuff at, at the time. No, I agree. I agree. And she just didn't have that almost like authoritative like presence. Like Hera always, you know, she felt like the mother of, you know, the ghost crew. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I wasn't getting that vibe from her at all in the first episode. You know, even though like what she was doing, you know, trying to get like Ahsoka and Sabine, you know, together again would feel like something Hera would do. She just didn't feel like she had that like matriarch presence to her, if you will. But in the scene when she's putting this tool in check, like she really felt like Hera to me, you know, from Rebels. No, I agree. But then I also, again, lost that feeling once we started seeing her in an action sequence. And, you know, she, she felt a little bit too happy-go-lucky behind the phantom wheel, you know, when she really? was chasing down another ship. I, I don't know. It didn't feel like Hera to me there. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I dug the scene, so maybe I'm my judgment's clouded by that. I, I thought it really showed off, like, what a capable pilot she is, because she's, like, on the same level as, like, a Han Solo, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I, I didn't have a problem with the scene. But, I mean, it is what it is. I also have a, a small nitpick slash gripe about Hera. For some reason, she's the first character, like, in all these shows that really just feels like they just threw on paint. Like, it doesn't feel like it's actually her skin color. I, I don't know why. It just, it doesn't look natural on her for some reason. Do you think it's because it looks like she's clearly wearing, like, a headpiece? Yeah, like, the visor looks very, like, you like know. Like, it, it's holding the tentacles uh -huh. on, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, they're almost a little too big for her face. Hmm. Like, the scale is off. Like, it, it looks like fantastic cosplay. <laughs> Yes. So I, I agree. 
I agree. Near the end of their walkthrough, Hera is quick to notice parts being used to make a massive hyperdrive core that wouldn't fit any new Republic ship design. And as Ahsoka and Hera press men about this and the assassin droid that, that came from this shipyard, another droid spills the beans that it actually had seen this droid. And of course, all hell breaks loose as the ex-Imperials begin to attack the pair. I love the dude screaming for the Empire. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How fucking inept is the new republic like what the hell <laughs> <laughs> they're just the worst at this <laughs> i know i it's like again I, I feel like they deserve the takeover by I, the end of it you know it's just like it's so obvious that this is going like they don't have anyone managing this group they have someone who is also ex-imperial looking over the other ex-imperials right? are you kidding <laughs> I mean, talk about bureaucratic, like, oversight. Like, what are what are we doing, people? <laughs> and they're doing all this shit in plain sight. Like, there's they're not even, like, hiding what they're doing. No. <laughs> like, they didn't even train the droids to be, you know, quiet about what's going on in their operation. I mean, like, literally, they... <laughs> once I saw everything in red, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> These are the fucking remnants. Like, like, come on. I mean, once, like, Ahsoka and Hera walked in, Ahsoka should have been sparking up her lightsaber when she saw all that fucking red. I mean, Imperials love their red and black color scheme. While all this is going on, Sabine is getting patched up on Lothal. Here we learn a little bit more about, you know, her past with Ahsoka, as it seems Ahsoka abandoned her during their training, and the same way as Ahsoka describes as leaving Anakin. Hu Yang, who is Ahsoka's droid and a former Jedi Temple droid, encourages Sabine to get back into training and reach out to Ahsoka, even if it seems like Ahsoka wishes not to train her, explaining that their issues, in a logical sense, are due to both lack of communication. I will say, and maybe I'm just traumatized after, you know, Secret Invasion, but, and that's Marvel, I get it. It's a different franchise. But I want a clear explanation on why Ahsoka walked away from Sabine. And I hope that they give that to us in this series. Unlike what we got in Secret Invasion with, you know, Nick Fury just walking away from everything after the blip. Um because that was dog shit. If you're gonna set up this like major plot point, then you need to pay it off story-wise. Absolutely, I was gonna say, yeah, if they're gonna build it up this much in the first two episodes, there has to be something, at least like, if, if not shown, at least heavily discussed later on. Yes, because otherwise it's just lazy writing. Mm. But I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt because once again, that was Marvel. This is Star Wars. <laughs> Having been sent out by Balin, Marok and Hati arrive to the facility to make sure that the hyperdrive gets to Morgan. This is when we see Marok go into battle for the first time with Ahsoka, while Hera and the Phantom, along with Chopper, chase down the hyperdrive, attempting to get a tracker on it before they can all escape. I know we already talked about the scene, but goddamn, I mean, th this is fucking Chopper from the series. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like perfect, right? <laughs> And I guess, like, why wouldn't it be? But, but even the way he utilizes his arms and everything like that, mm -hmm. like, it feels like it's straight out of the animated series. I love that it's Filoni doing the voice, too. Yeah, that, that <laughs> is awesome. So yet another lightsaber battle. I think that's, like, five at this point, um, which is pretty fucking awesome. I was absolutely terrified that Maroc was just going to, like, get killed here and, you know, go the way of the Knights of Ren. You know, just a character to sell toys and look cool. Uh -huh. um, so I was I was super happy that, you know, he escaped and everything. And I really loved the fight sequence. Um, it showed that, you know, he's 
you know, highly trained and capable of holding his own against the likes of someone like Ahsoka. I mean, when he threw his lightsaber, uh, I thought he was going to totally, like, retrieve it and, like, helicopter away like they did um, <laughs> in Rebels, like, the you know, the Inquisitors, because uh-huh. we saw that a couple times, right, in Rebels? Uh, but we didn't get that. But overall, I did like the fact that they established that he's an actual threat, that he's just not, like, cannon fodder once again. I mean, it was still badass, though, when Ahsoka just sidestepped it. No, the, the lightsaber oh, coming absolutely. back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she, she knew what was going down. <laughs> and I'm sure this is just a teaser to, like, a bigger battle to come mm-hmm. where Ahsoka will best him eventually. Um, I'm just still secretly hoping that there's some, like, major reveal of who's underneath the mask. You'll find out after she cuts off his head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so-and-so. I trade with them. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, like, after seeing Rock up close, I-, I highly doubt that they're secretly, like, Barriss Offy. Um, you know, because a lot of people were speculating that that could possibly be the case. But I don't know. Just, you know, body type-wise and everything like that, that, that doesn't seem to kind of add up. After the fight, Hera and Ahsoka go their separate ways, as Hera wants to inform the Republic of what's happened here and doesn't have the location just yet. When she does get it, she sends it to Ahsoka, claiming that the hyperdrive has shown up in some place called the Denob system, which apparently is a system first introduced to Star Wars in a game called Star Wars Rebellion back in 1998. Before Ahsoka can make her way after Elizabeth, she receives a call from Sabine, who has since cut her hair back to her signature look and armored up in her Mandalorian gear, stating that she is once again ready to be Ahsoka's apprentice. When Ahsoka picks up Sabine later on, we see Sabine giving the mural from the end of Rebels one more look before beginning her journey yeah and this scene like shot for shot is pretty much an homage to that final scene in rebels so which was a real nice touch mm-hmm. the one thing that we didn't talk about was the ezra aspect of this story um while i feel like sabine is on this mission to save ezra especially after we had that scene with her playing back the um hologram message from ezra um you know, people have always, you know, shipped both of them. Uh, I don't know if they're going to go that, you know, route in this series. Um, if Ezra does show up, I do feel like he's going to show up, though. Um, but with that being said, I feel like Ahsoka's mission is just to hunt down Thrawn. Um, and I'm wondering if that's going to put them in conflict. Sabine and Ahsoka, that is. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a moment where they have to choose between either finding Ezra or finding Thrawn near the end, and they have to split up because yes, of it. Yes, where everything kind of comes to a head, um, especially with their you know relationship. I mean, you said it earlier, um, this definitely doesn't feel like it's going to have a happy ending to this series, especially knowing that Thrawn's probably going to be the big bad for whatever you know conclusion of this uh, whole you know narrative that they're doing into the movie. Um, yeah, with the so Mandalorian like, and everything. Yeah, with like the Mandalorian, that, yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, Thrawn's definitely got to succeed in some way in this series to move forward. Exactly, exactly. It's just, it's strange to think that Ahsoka might end up being as rigid as the Jedi Council that she rebelled against, right? But I will say, like, she kind of gives off that air, which I'm sure is purposeful story-wise, where I'm sure Sabine is going to remind her on why, you know, the ways of the council was wrong in the first place. Um, now, this is all just my headcanon. <laughs> but it does, 
you know, in the setup, feel like they're headed in that direction. There's also the, like the obvious lesson to be learned from a character that, you know, is always running away from, you know, situations like she ran away from the order. She ran away from Sabine. I'm sure they're tying a connection there, at least. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also wondering, like, did Ahsoka walk away from Sabine because Sabine was too much like her? You know, and she's like grown too rigid in her ways. Definitely a good reflection of herself, for sure. All the while, Morgan Elsbeth watches on as the final hyperdrive she needs to make her way to Thrawn begins to be installed to the Eye of Scion. Balin, over video call, though, warns of Ahsoka coming after them despite Hati believing that they couldn't have been tracked. So yeah, I mean, overall, I thought this was a great start to the series. Um, I'm already 100% hooked. And I mean, this definitely kind of like washed the bad taste out of my mouth after you know, season three of The Mandalorian, which, you know, wasn't horrible, but definitely kind of lackluster. I mean, this is an eight episode series. I think they're going at a good pace right now, especially with the episode length. There's, you know, enough to tell the story that they're trying to accomplish. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we won't end up with, a you know, an episode or two where it doesn't work for the story and we lose, you know, like what we got from The Mandalorian. So I'm 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 hopeful for this series. I'm still excited by it. So, yeah, I mean, they definitely did a great job of setting the table here with these two mm -hmm. episodes yes you know at this point we know who all the characters are we know all their motives and you know story-wise we know what direction we're headed in which is something season three of the mandalorian at the end of the day didn't really have i think right now the only thing that might upset me is if Hera does not go off on the new republic leaders like if if she just goes over there and it's just like hey this is happening and they just shoo her away well we do see her kind of reading them the riot act in the trailer mm -hmm. at, at one point. So I feel like we're going to have that moment. Mon Mothma needs her dunce cap, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I mean, she's been through a lot. She's got to be incredibly old at this point, too, right? Like, <laughs> she's she a should have the wisdom of the, of the old Republic or whatever the, whatever, the Republic Plus, she was there during the Empire times. She should know both sides of the government. She should know how to run things. Yeah, but she's got to be at least pushing 80 at this point, right? <laughs> Would you trust your your grandmother to run a government? Hey, we have people that age in our government exactly, right now. Exactly, so. Christian. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, join us next week as we break down episode three of Ahsoka. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. All right, so this past week in gaming, we had Gamescom, which I had you know some big hopes for. I'm going to go over a little bit of the highlights for me that I had for the opening night live and some of the announcements we got afterwards. But I will say what disappointed me the most about Gamescom this year um, really just comes from the Starfield announcements. Um, you know, I think a lot of people hyped up, you know, the rumors and such of what we might get out of, you know, the closed door, you know, presentation and, you know, potential showing of a little bit more gameplay here. Like I expected them to show at least something new from the game during the opening night live, but all we really got was a live action um, trailer, which, you know, it's, it, it was cool. It looked high budget and fun, but doesn't really do anything for me as the player. I'm still super excited for the game and it's gonna be coming out literally next week for um, early uh, players. And I do plan on playing it then. So, I, it, you know, they already have me bought, but I was hoping for a little bit more. I mean, IGN did their whole little like, you know, hey, what well, we saw what happened behind closed doors. It, it, it just sounded like they described what happens during the first mission and that's it. You know, they didn't really show off much more than that. 
However, a game that was shown off that I totally forgot was in the works was Black Myth Wukong, which totally had the internet by storm last year when footage was shown off. This looks to adapt that kind of Dark Souls boss fight style, but seems to have such more you know vibrancy to it and feels more alive than anything that I've seen come out of From Software. I mean, I've been impressed by the gameplay since that first trailer dropped last year. And then now seeing the you know variations of different you know boss that you'll probably be fighting in this game and the overall gameplay of the Monkey King himself, I definitely feel like this is a game to keep an eye out for. We also got an official release date for Tekken 8, that being in January of 2024, which kind of ruins my whole, like, this is the year for fighting games, uh, but it's still coming, you know, pretty close to everything else um, and will give us plenty of time to finish Mortal Kombat um, beforehand. I am still super excited though for Tekken 8 to be released. I'm a big Tekken fan. I've always enjoyed the story and the overall gameplay of all of the Tekken series. Um, you know, I credit Pizza Hut for being, you know, able to play the arcade version um, in their stores when I was a kid because that's really what, you know, got me into Tekken outside of playing Mortal Kombat because that's Mortal Kombat was really the first fighting game I can remember playing as a kid. And speaking of which, um, we did get another gameplay trailer for this week featuring Sindel and Raiden as we got you know a better idea of some of the former leaders and where they are in the new Mortal Kombat you know, continuity. In this timeline, Sindel seems to be you know at the mantle and in control of Outworld instead of Shao Kahn, which I thought was a good twist because her story has been retconned and changed quite a few times. You know, is she the tragic pawn of Shao Kahn uh, or was she, you know, evil to begin with? It's really been up in the air and up to fans, you know, interpretation of, you know, what is canon, what isn't. Um, someone will yell at me and say, no, she is this or no, she is that. But I've heard it from both sides at this point, so fuck off. Uh, <laughs> either way, this gameplay showed off that it really feels like she's more the bad guy, and I really prefer it when she's just straight evil. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There was also 17 minutes of the story posted online, but I chose not to watch it as I want to just you know go in fresh for when this game comes out. And it's right around the corner. It's September 19th, so we're literally uh, just a little under a month away from the release. So I'm just going to wait till that game comes out and then we will get right on into that. I don't know if I'll be playing it week one, but we'll definitely be playing it this fall. Another trailer that impressed me this week was from Alan Wake 2, which I thought was a way better representation of the experience that they're you know, trying to give us here than what they showed off with the first trailer that barely showed even a glimpse of the encounter that they were you know, trying to show off with the other protagonists that will be in this game. The game will have two protagonists, Alan Wake and one other person. I can't remember her name at this very moment, but this trailer followed Alan Wake as he is stuck in the dark place that seems to have taken the form of a New York crime novel. The trailer showed off how the game will kind of blend live action and 3D renders to create this kind of surreal nightmare experience for the player. You know, I'm not sure if this will only be on Alan's side of the story, but I thought it was a really cool effect and I kept waiting to see like the 3D render next to the live action and seeing how that all blended together. Cause I mean, it, it surprisingly worked better than what we've seen in the past and other games that have done something similar to this. Uh, we also saw that Warhaven, a game that we tried during the Steam Next Fest this summer, got an official release date with the game officially being free to play starting September 21st. It's the first free to play experience in a while that I have really enjoyed. So I'll probably be giving this another round in the near future. 
Um, lastly, we got a streamlined trailer for all the updates coming to Cyberpunk 2077 with them showing off new vehicles, new weapons, and a whole new leveling system that will greatly change the game going forward. This feels like the soft reboot that the game has been pushing towards since its failed launch, and it's definitely worked in making me excited to do another playthrough with these new story beats and new options for the game. That will also you know play into and affect your ending choices if you get the phantom liberty dlc while the you know expansion is something that you have to pay for the overhaul itself will be free to download on september 26 meaning that you get all the new upgrades you get the new you know weapons and items and all that fun stuff plus the new leveling system which i'm glad that they stuck to their word by making you know patch 2.0 or whatever they're calling it free this should be their last big patch before development digs into you know deep for their cyberpunk sequel which i'm still happy that is actually happening you know there was a big chance that with the critical reaction that they might have thought about going in a different direction and not doing a cyberpunk 2 but it did make enough money you know it's and it's continued to make money so i'm not surprised that cd project red is you know continuing on with this franchise as for me i will be getting back into streaming um i will be live on monday and tuesday we were of course gone last weekend because i was on vacation so we should be getting back into streaming this weekend um, i need to work a little bit more on uh saturday and sunday so i will not be able to stream but i will be live on monday and tuesday and we'll see if i'm able to go live on maybe wednesday um as well um but then the week after that should be starfield week i want to play you know starfield for you know that entire week if i can um i will be out of town the weekend after that it's going to be my uh, grandfather's birthday so i'm going to go down to his house and stay uh, for a little bit uh but i will be back after that and we'll continue on with all of our adventures we are still currently playing boulders gate 3 we're doing always sunny in boulders gate uh making a whole lot of horrible choices so you're definitely going to check out that series um, we're going to be trying to finish up Horizon Forbidden West in the meantime. You know, it's going to be a very hectic fall, but I do want to make sure I finish Horizon Forbidden West. Um, it is a great game. Um, it's just my schedule has been so crazy and that's what's been taking me so long to actually beat it. But either way, make sure to stop by our Twitch channel as we are still kind of revamping things um, and trying to rework our schedule so that everything can, you know, I have had a lot of big changes lately and I've had a lot of stuff going on. So that's why. You know, my schedule's just been all over the place. So I do apologize about that, but we should be back into it and back going into gaming. I, I need to get my hands on a controller and start playing some more. So definitely join us on Monday. I'll be live then. But with all that said, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. She led us with love, but she told us that the fires, well, they were our friends too. The world is an evil place, she said. And we agreed. And I was there. I was there when she took her final breath. She pulled me in close. And she said, you're the one. She said, they chose you. Long before you were ever existence. And I understood what she meant. Her touch could save the world. But her kiss burns it to the ground. Sister Abigail. <laughs> Alright Christian, so before we get started, uh, this was a pretty awful week to be a wrestling fan. Uh, not only did we lose the absolute legend, Terry Funk, 
but we tragically lost Bray Wyatt today, who was such a unique, creative talent, uh, you know, unlike we've probably ever seen before in wrestling, mm-hmm. who I really do feel like the best was yet to come. I just don't think we ever really got to see his like full potential because I feel like the industry just wasn't ready for him yet, unfortunately. There was just always some strange booking decisions that just stifled, you know, the heights that he could have gotten to, I feel like. No, you're absolutely right. They only scratched the surface of his potential. And it's you know disappointing to see that, you know, we won't be able to see what that kind of mind would you know do further in WWE or even in other companies. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's just so sad, especially since he was, I believe, in his like mid to late 30s. Yeah, like you know, 36. He, yeah. he just, you know, just had a child. Um, you know, he has a wife in the company, uh, Jojo. And I will say I'm glad like WWE is doing the right thing by them. And for now on, I guess, like all of the profits from any merchandise with Bray Wyatt will go directly to his family. So if you're a Bray Wyatt fan or just a wrestling fan in general, I mean, definitely go out there and get your, yourself some Bray Wyatt merch um you know because it's going to a good cause but yeah like i said just a real difficult week you know to be a wrestling fan but our thoughts go out to the family and friends of these two amazing talents um who left the wrestling industry better off for having them in it but in a rough excalibur like transition um we've got a pay-per-view to talk about uh this weekend uh we have one of the biggest wrestling events of all time at least attendance-wise, uh, in All In. Uh, let's go ahead and make our predictions for the card. But we're going to do this lightning round style because there's not much podcast left. We went a little long with Ahsoka. Uh, but, you know, we'll be back next week to kind of talk about the card overall. But quickly, Christian, uh, the build for this pay-per-view? A little lackluster? You could say that. You know, what build, really? I know, uh, For right? this pay-per-view. <laughs> I feel like Tony was really trying to put like 10 pounds of shit in like a five pound bag uh, this past, you know, two weeks. Mm. Um, This week was a little more successful than last week. Last week was a mess, although I was strangely entertained by the show, I will say. But I mean, it was just pure chaos this week. I actually started to get excited for the show and they felt like they were really like pushing it as a major event, which before it was just kind of like oh yeah we sold a bunch of tickets to this you know huge stadium in you know the united kingdom but you know you might want to watch it or something because no one was fucking (laughs) talking about it which was Uh strange you know besides you know you know boasting about the fucking you know ticket sales uh there, there was literally no build to the card until cm punk brought it up on collision which was just three weeks ago so i i don't know what the reason behind that was um but that feels like it's been a trend lately with the aw and pay-per-views besides the main events a lot of this card just felt randomly announced here and there um they tried to do a bit of storytelling over the last couple weeks in setting up you know issues and feuds but a lot of those issues and feuds feel feels like they're coming out of like left field almost um, and, and just really forced. Um, I feel like there's probably a lot of pressure for Tony to get like a lot of the roster on this card since it's such a major deal. Um, but sometimes it is what it is. 
And you know, that that's what battle royals are for. I mean, <laughs> I hate to say it, but not everyone deserves to be on the show. So, um, and I mean, it's no fault of their own. It's just lazy booking, but I would just rather have them concentrate on, you know, the matches that, you know, they've actually been invested in. But with all that being said, I'm sure the card's going to be fantastic. You know, we'll be raving about it because, I mean, you've got a lot of talented wrestlers, you know, uh-huh. in a lot of matches here. Uh, and I feel like that's always the case with AEW. But I feel like that's a crutch that, like, Tony is really, like, leaning way too much on nowadays. Well, I forgot what card it was, but there was, you know, every once in a while when they do these poor builds and then they have a, a match or two that wasn't that great it really you know brings down the value of the pay-per-view because you know people weren't invested into the story at all and now you have bad matches and it just doesn't do anything for your you know entire program no i agree 100 percent. and like you know later on when it's time to buy another pay-per-view like that's going to be in the back of your mind and you know it's definitely going to sway whether or not you're going to put down your hard-earned money you know, for another AEW show. You know, you want each one of these pay-per-views, especially since there's only, what, like five at this point? To feel like they can't miss events. Well, especially when you have two back-to-back, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm guessing that was a situation that they're kind of cornered into. Because mm. it's definitely not ideal, and I'm sure it's going to hurt their buy rates in the long run. Um, I, I, I'm guessing it's more of a calendar issue. Um, and I understand, like, Tradition-wise, like, you want to have all out on the same weekend, but sometimes it's okay to buck tradition for, you know, a special occasion like All In, Um, because I feel like All In isn't something you're going to be doing every year. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into the card. Well, first off, we have the pre-show matches, which features Ozzy Open going up against uh, MJF and Adam Cole. So this match is definitely unorthodox. Um... I have no idea what direction they're going in, but that's kind of like what I like about it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say MJF and Adam Cole actually capture the ROH tag titles here. Just because I think it'll be a good way to kind of tether these two together um, after their main event match. Yeah, because you got to imagine something's going to go wrong between the two of them during the main event match, at least. Uh, I I don't know if it's going to be a shorter match, but I definitely think that MJF and Adam Cole will come out, you know, winning the the Ring of Honor uh, World Tag Team Championship. Do you think we're going to get the kangaroo kick? The the what now? Um, uh, I was out of town, that's, David. That's, <laughs> that's right. You need to go back and least watch the segment with the Adam Cole and MJF. Um, that was the highlight of last week's show. Okay. Uh, it's literally MJF hopping around like a kangaroo um, after watching a kangaroo box a man on YouTube. So that, yeah. All right. The, he literally got the audience to chant kangaroo kick <laughs> during their segment. So, um, I mean, the man is a master at his craft. <laughs> I'm hoping we get the kangaroo kick. Uh, definitely one of the top babyface promos we've seen in AEW this week. <laughs> oh, with MJF? <laughs> From MJF, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty convincing. Um, like, this was the first week where I was like, this is almost too convincing. I feel like he's going to be the one turning <laughs> now. Uh-huh. You know, usually the simpler storyline is the route they're probably going, um, which makes sense. 
I mean, MJF has always been the heel, but at the same time, I feel like that would be so convoluted um, because I still don't feel like his plan then would make any sense whatsoever because he was literally the one who just handed over a, a title shot to Adam Cole. Yeah. It's got to at least be a case, and I know we're talking about the main event before the main event, so, but whatever. Um, it's got to be a case of MJF turning on Anne McCole to protect himself, where at like one point their friendship was actually genuine, but MJF is almost like a defensive mechanism where MJF chooses to turn on him, even though he still does have an actual emotional attachment to Cole, if that makes any sense. It's very, you know, Dawson's Creek, whatever, you uh, know, as the world turns. But I dig He'll it. be crying as he hits him in the back of the head right. with the title. Absolutely. Officially, yes. <laughs> if, that, if that, you know, if he does turn, like, I need that for it to make sense. You know, because otherwise, if you look at it, if you track the storyline, it would be completely illogical. <laughs> it would make no sense. So that we both have MJF, though, winning the world title in the end? Well, he's already the world champion, Christian. But yes, uh, okay. retaining, retaining. Yes, retaining. I think he's going to retain, but I think we're going to have more questions than answers. Because this storyline's been so successful, and I don't think they want it to end anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be a case of this just being another wrinkle in their story. Like another chapter. Um because I just don't foresee this angle ending. But anyway, what else do we well, have on the uh, Zero Hour? Uh, we also have the FTW Championship match between Jack Perry and Hook. And I feel like unless, you know, LFI shows up and attacks Hook, Hook is definitely coming out with the FTW Championship. No, I agree with that. I'm, I'm going to go with Hook here, too. But with that said, that brings us to our main card, which we have FTR going up against the Young Bucks for the AEW World Tag Team Championship and to, you know, solidify who really is the best tag team in the world. So this is like one of the only matches that feel worthy of this like big event. Um, and that's not due to the build up for it, because I feel like, you know, the storyline was already built in, if you will, over the last couple of years. Um, so you could literally just have FTR come out and call out the Young Bucks. Um, I like the back and forth between, you know, the two teams this past week on Dynamite, though. I thought they did a lot of the leg work that they needed to do, you know, there. Um, I'm going to say FTR retains the titles, um, and we see both teams shake hands in the middle of the ring at the end. Okay. Um, I, I could see a sign of respect. I just don't know... If FTR will win or not. Um, hmm. Now, we haven't talked about it, but Cash ran into some legal issues this past yes, week. Yes, and I'm wondering how he's able to leave the country, but... Well, since he hasn't been convicted any, of anything, I guess that's how that works. But, you know, okay. I, I don't understand the legalese. <laughs> but his passport was not revoked or anything. Okay. But, like, his legal situation, I could see being a wrench thrown into the direction they were headed in. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think about this when I made my prediction, but I could see Tony maybe playing it safe and deciding to take the belts off them um, until all this, you know, legal drama is behind them. Um, so, I mean, maybe FDR does, you know, lose the titles. I don't know. I mean, it'd be the easy way out, definitely, for right now, because uh, they could always just do another two match feud or some shit and i totally get it like I, I i understand why tony would want to protect the company 
Um, Because you don't want those headlines reading AEW champion, Cash Wheeler, you know, blah, blah, blah. So maybe he chooses to play it safe. But I'm going to go FTR. All right. uh, I'll go Young Bucks. I'll 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 be be the difficult one here. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Difficult, but yes. (laughs) All right. Uh, We had a fatal four-way match for the AEW Women's World Championship between the champion Sheeta versus Tony Storm, Soraya, and Dr. Britt Baker. Man, I... I think it's just too soon for Sheeta to lose the belt, right? Yeah. I almost feel like this title reign is a way of thanking Sheeta for carrying the women's division on her back during the pandemic. Um, You know, being champion literally in front of no fans for a really long time. I forgot how long her reign is, but I think it's one of the longest in AEW. Um, So I think Sheeta walks away still champion. Although, if they want to go the hometown route, they could put the belt on Soraya. Now, a lot of fans in the States would probably scoff at that. Like, it's <laughs> it's unwarranted. Like, she hasn't really earned, uh-huh. you know, a title reign. Um, but it's not like they couldn't take the belt off her next week at all. Well, exactly. All I out. mean, it's... It's definitely a way to draw heat as well, because, I mean, everyone's going to boo her out the building the moment she walks into the States with the belt. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, at the United Center. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Um, I will say I'm loving Tony Storm's new character. Uh, um, I, which makes me wonder if she would win the belt for to just to build onto that whole, you know, three title, you know, character. I don't think she's winning it, but I feel like she's definitely like the next top contender for that belt, if that makes any sense, because she's definitely being heavily featured. Well, as much as you know, women, women wrestlers get featured on AEW. Um, but, you know, the fact that they're really investing in her character, at least um tells me that you know they've got plans for her so um and if you think about it like this character this like distressed old hollywood diva type i guess (laughs) you know part of her motivation is like not having the title so you know i feel like there's going to be like a storyline build to her like becoming champion again Mm. So I'm going to say Sheeta retains and then faces Tony Storm maybe at All Out or sometime in the future. I'm going to say Sheeta retains. I'll say Sheeta retains just because it's too soon. After that, I have Darby Allen and Sting going up against Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage in a coffin match. Was there like some backstage reason for AR Fox to be taken out of this match? I don't know because I was very confused why, like, Tony they hinted would do that to on him. a press call <laughs> that there was going to be some reshuffling of the card. Due- and one of those things was, was definitely uh, Ray Fenix's uh, visa um, issues. So this just felt out of left field. And I, I, I don't know if they just wanted to get Christian, you know, on the card somewhere, but. You know, if it was just like a star power thing, but storyline wise, this was a little clunky. I mean, Darby Allen has been feuding with all these people, so I it like technically makes sense why Christian would show up. But I guess, but Ar Fox just joined Swerve, and I was uh-huh. really enjoying their chemistry together and the storyline. So this whole turn feels just out of left field, 
And the fact that, like, Darby is just, like, accepting A.R. Fox back in the fold after he mutilated his Padawan, like... <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, he literally was trying to murder, you know, your little buddy two weeks ago. Like, what? what's going on? Like, it, I mean, it's a little too forgiving. I'm wondering if, like, Nick Wayne ends up being resentful of Darby for taking A.R. Fox mm. back and ends up joining with Swerve. Um, that'd be a fun <laughs> twist. But yes, the Sting and Darby are winning. They're, they're undefeated. I mean, I hate to say it, like, yeah. I'd love to see Swerve win, but, I mean, if Sting wasn't in this match, I, I would say there was a chance that Swerve was going to go over if this was, like, a one-on-one match between him and Darby, but but since we have Sting, you know, at Wembley Stadium and we know this is going to be one of his last years in the business, I feel like Sting's going over. Has Darby even lost a coffee match? I can't remember if he's ever lost any of his coffee matches. Yes. No, he lost to uh, Brody King, I think. Right. Oh, okay. no, I'm wrong. Actually, he lost the match before um, he had the coffin match against Brody King. So that was kind of the payoff to their like angle. Man, it, it would be a cool visual to see Swerve Strickland put you know, Darby in a coffin, you know, and have him come out the winner. But I understand it's it's his match. Can we, it's with Steve. Can we talk about Christian <laughs> and what a fucking bastard he is? <laughs> oh, you knew it was coming. Oh, right? my you God. had to know. Do you think they just put him in this fucking match just to get Absolutely. that back and forth? Just because of all the memes. I mean, people, oh ever, there's God. been a hundred memes over, like, ever since Nick Wayne joined, it's like, Christian's coming, he's coming. He like. literally told them he'll be his new daddy. Like, yes. oh my God. <laughs> I love Christian so much. What a horrible um, human being. You know, we haven't mentioned it, all the rumors about Edge potentially showing up in AEW at some point, if if that's a possibility. Um, do you want to see it? Um, If it doesn't, if, like, I would like to see at least if it does happen, if he were to do one match in AEW, if he were to be on that level, I would love to see him go up against the Young Bucks at least once. With, right? with Christian you're talking about? With Christian, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a match against Kenny Omega, you know, and then like yeah. him teaming up with Christian. But I would think that if they felt like he was coming in, you know, unless he's gonna feud with Christian off the bat. But I feel like if he was coming in to team up with Christian, you wouldn't have Christian out there making dead dad jokes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So my guess is that this isn't happening. But I mean, I could be wrong. Tony has a lot of money. Mm, I mean, his final match, I mean, probably should be against Christian, right? Like, I would, I would, you know what? I would rather see them team up together in his final match. Um, but I've always been more of a Edge and Christian fan than I was, you know, at Edge singles run guy. Gotcha. Um, but that could just be me. I mean, it'd be a big surprise at Wembley. It really would. I mean, the fucking oh, roof. Well, I would don't just, think he's going to show up there. The, the roof would blow. I mean, I don't know if they have a roof, but the roof would blow off the place. <laughs> he came out. No, and, I, I think it's open. He, he, uh, he came out and said that his contract's up in September, at the end of September. Mm-hmm. But Edge has lied plenty of times before i mean when there was reports that he was gonna be in the royal rumble like he came out on twitter and said no that's not happening that's bs (laughs) (laughs) and then he showed up at the royal rumble 
Well, after this, we have uh, the Golden Elite going up against uh, Takeshita and Bullet Club Golds, Juice Robinson and Jay White um, in a six-man tag team match. So I'm going to say Bullet Club and Takeshita get the win, and it sets up a match between Omega and Takeshita for All Out. I dig that just because it gets Jay White to continue to brag over the fact that he's beaten, you know, Omega. Uh, but right now, I'm, I think I'm sitting on the golden elite to win just because it's you know it's the type of event it is you know it's all in i, I can imagine it's you know to build like you just said to all out but I, I also think it depends on if like the young bucks win or lose in their earlier match you know if they want to like you're saying because all ha- in having... was you know their event so yes uh-huh um I don't know if Tony would be thinking like that, uh, but I mean, I see where you're going. I mean, that does make sense, but I just feel like you won't have as much heat then for, you know, the inevitable match between Takeshita and Omega. Uh, but I'm sure they can figure their way around it, but they literally mm-hmm. only have one week to do so. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I mean, maybe they go Omega and Jay White before Takeshita, but because I do... <laughs> I still feel like they haven't done enough to build up Takeshita, you know, to feel mm-hmm. like this major star in the making. Like they were on that road and then they just, you know, everything gets so murky with the Don Callis of it all. Like he feels like he's like the main focal point of this feud. The one thing I did like from the JR interview from last week was them showing Omega and Takeshita facing off like years ago. Um, with Takeshita looking like he's like maybe eight years old. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, that whole fucking interview was a mess. I don't know what the hell, like the, the cutbacks to, oh, you didn't see it. I, I keep on forgetting yeah. you didn't watch last week, but they kept on doing these weird, awkward, like cutaways to JR reacting to Kenny being beat down by uh, Bullet Club. And it just felt so strange and out of, I was like, why are they showing <laughs> JR here? He just looked like a confused old man. And I, I don't know. It was just very weirdly edited. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm going to go Bullet Club, you know, getting the win here with Takeshita. Um, I love everything that they're doing with Bullet Club Gold right now, though. Um, they're they're an absolute highlight on Collision. I will say that. Are you going to get a cardboard cutout of Jay White for the for the man cave? I want a cardboard cutout of Juice Robinson because, like, <laughs> he's my guy right now. <laughs> He's just so funny because like a, a year or two ago, you couldn't stand. Him oh, there. I mean, they did him no like favors in the way they mm. debuted him and everything like that. It was just so like matter of factly like, oh, yeah, I guess Juice is here. Uh, but like he's really like owned this character. Like, I mean, he's the ultimate sleazy henchman. Um, I, I'm just loving everything he's doing right now. And the group as a whole has like great chemistry. After this, we got another big match with the Stadium Stampede match, uh, which will feature Eddie Kingston, Orange Cassidy, and the best friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta, uh, along with Penta L Zero, going up against Blackpool Combat Clubs, John Moxley and Claudio, along with Wheeler, and also Santana returned with Ortiz. Yeah, and this past week, they wrote off Ray Phoenix in a great match between him and Moxley. I'm going to say Proud and Powerful and the Blackpool Combat Club end up winning the match and it sets up a match between moxley and kingston uh either at all out or at the um arthur ash show i could see them maybe doing orange cassidy and moxley at all out um since it felt like they were going 
that route, you know, in the beginning of this whole angle, which has been kind of a mess, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see Moxley win the title from Cassidy. And then you have Moxley dropping the title to Kingston at Arthur Ashe. Okay. I keep forgetting that um, Orange Cassidy is still the, the international champion. But yeah, I do agree. I don't think Eddie Kingston should win the Stampede match just because, you know, it, it'll build to whatever singles feud he's going to be having going forward, whether it's against Claudio again or against Moxley. Which it definitely feels like it's towards Moxley at this point, especially with the way he reacted to Renee even trying to interview him. Yeah, which was a great moment. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, after this, we have Will Ospreay versus Chris Jericho. Ospreay. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Easy. I, I still feel like it should have been Takeshita versus Jericho. I mean, we mentioned it earlier, Takeshita, we, we need him to be built up more. And I felt like it would have been like a big victory for him and his story to move towards Omega at some point. But I don't know. I, I agree with that, actually. I feel like that would have gone a long way to build up Takeshita to feel like a main mm-hmm. eventer in the waiting. Um, you know, getting this big win against Jericho and then getting him primed for Omega. Um, I'm guessing they wanted Osprey in a singles match. And then storyline-wise, you can't have them teaming up with the Bullet Club because of his New Japan ties. Yes. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and then, of course, I think Jericho would see Osprey as more of the marquee match, uh, since they were originally supposed to, you know, wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, him and Osprey do have a relationship, and they were originally supposed to face off against each other at Wrestle Kingdom before the pandemic. So, it is what it is. Osprey is one of the best wrestlers in the world, and I feel like people aren't giving Jericho enough credit. Like they they just completely forgot his like Ocho run where he had a string of really good matches, you know, holding that ROH title. So, I mean, he hasn't had the best, you know, year of his career, but he can still pull off, you know, a banger when he wants to. We also have the World Trios Championship uh, between House of Black and The Acclaimed, along with Billy Gunn. Um, I liked the little promo video they did this week for House of Black. I'm going to say the Acclaim Walkaway Trios champs. Um, they're still incredibly over, and I don't foresee them losing three times in a row to the House of Black. I guess, yeah. It would be a big pop for the crowd just to get seeing Billy Gunn return, just to you know have it proved wrong that he wasn't the reason, you know. Oh, he was absolutely back. the reason, but I mean, I think it'll be <laughs> nice for him to have one more title run, you uh-huh. know, before he does you know call it a day all right and then i saved this one for last we have cm punk versus samoa joe for the real world championship punk has to win just because of the real world title uh-huh. you know that whole gimmick going on right now uh because no i would love to hear samoa joe running around being like i'm the real world champion me too you know <laughs> <laughs> but i mean and we're not going to get into all the cm punk drama from the last couple uh-huh. of weeks so i'm gonna stay away from that but i will say it does feel like all this is leading to a match between him and mjf i don't know if it's happening as soon as all out um because it's only a week away and there's a whole like ricky starks factor mm-hmm. um and they you know he was suspended for beating the shit out of ricky ricky the dragon steamboat with you know whipping with a belt um but his suspension ends right before All Out. So that feels like the natural match to go with. 
But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, if you would have told me, you know, you know, who's CM Punk facing off against, you know, at All Out, I would say, oh, yeah, it's got to be MJF. But now I'm not quite too sure. I mean, maybe, you know, at the end of the MJF match, you know, the MJF and Cole match, we have Punk come out and, you know, get in, you know, MJF's face and we have this like face off. But with that being said, I love how unpredictable this whole card is. Um, because it would be a great visual and beat to end on for this pay-per-view if you have CM Punk come out and confront MJF at the end of the pay-per-view, you know, and you have them holding both titles up, um, you know, hyping up next week, if that's the direction they do choose to go in, because I feel like that's going to definitely sell some pay-per-view buy rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't have much time, but that's kind of like a built-in story. Yeah, it's either that or they'll, you know, save it for maybe full gear in November. I don't know. I think what a lot of people are getting stuck on is the fact that, like, you know, All Out is taking place in Chicago. And that just feels like the natural payoff for Punk and MGF. Um Especially if we end this pay-per-view with MGF still a baby face because mm-hmm. then you could have a situation where punk you know does a full turn finally and he runs away with you know both titles i would hope if punk wins you know the world heavyweight ch- championship that he would drop oh the, yeah the, yeah the fake one <laughs> it would just be more of him validating that he is indeed the world champion um and having bragging rights over MJF. And I could see a whole angle with him talking about how MJF has gotten soft. And I mm. I, I would love to see a heel punk against a babyface MJF. That'd be such a great dynamic. Um, so even if it doesn't happen at, you know, all out, I hope it happens sooner than later. And to reiterate, we both have MJF walking away with the world title. Oh, yeah. Okay. With the world title. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been like a half hour since we talked about the main event, so <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I don't remember where we ended on that. But yeah, MJF is definitely retaining. I feel like we're going to still have that relationship still intact between him and Cole uh, when the pay-per-view goes off the air. So, uh, but it, I mean, the card, it, like I said before, like in ring is going to be fantastic. It, it usually is with AEW. I just wish it had a better build, but it is what it is. So, um, But join us next week as we give our full thoughts on All In and talk about the aftermath. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.
And many years ago, my father was a wrestler too. And my father died in my arms after a professional wrestling match. They had his funeral, and thousands of people came to his funeral, and they brought every kind and color of flower imaginable. That, like I said, was many years ago. Then the years went by, and I went back to the gravesite, and all that was there was me and the West Texas wind. And I looked down at that headstone of his, and it said, Funk, F. U N K and I swore to the heavens above that I would make that name synonymous with wrestling forever.